Hello and welcome back to The Atomic Hobble. I'm Julie McDowell and this week's podcast is brilliant. I know that I would say that, but um, when I was researching it this week, I was finding things that even I didn't know about and I was absolutely chuckling in horror. This week we're going to look at how the British Prime Minister would deliver instructions for nuclear launch from beyond the grave. Now I'm saying from beyond the grave as though I'm some wee guy at the Blackpool Pleasure Beach trying to lure you into a horror show. But it's true, then there is a system in place whereby the British Prime Minister, if they've been killed in a nuclear attack, can still make their instructions known to the submariners out at sea with the nukes. Now, let's not be pessimistic. The Prime Minister might not be dead. If nuclear war was brewing, then they'd have time to escape London. They might be sitting nice and cosy in their bunker, nice and safe, snacking on tea and survival biscuits, maybe a few tranquilizers, ready to dish out the orders to the Royal Navy. So there might be no need to issue instructions from beyond the grave. So assuming the Prime Minister is alive and capable, and no comments please about whether they ever are capable, here's the system for issuing nuclear instructions Now, this was the case in the days of Polaris. I assume it still is with Trident. Uh, What would happen if a nuclear launch was to be ordered? NATO would transmit the order to a bunker in Northwood and Northwood would then retransmit it out to sea to the submarines. However, the captain on board the the boats, as they're called, that's something I've learned, um, they're not called submarines, they're called boats, Uh, The commander on the boats was under strict orders not to launch. So even though he's had this um, order in from NATO, he is not to launch until he gets a verification from the Navy's commander-in-chief. And he would only do so after getting authorisation from the Prime Minister. So there's quite a chain there before the men on the submarine can actually launch the weapons. Now, there's an extra layer of security built into that system. So when the Prime Minister communicates with the bunker at Northwood, and that's when the orders are exchanged, the Prime Minister and the officer at Northwood need to see one another. So there was um, two-way CCTV set up between them both. So a screen in Downing Street and a screen at the bunker in Northwood. There was also a blue phone on the desk at Downing Street. Lifting this phone and pressing three buttons would activate the screen And so the officer at Northwood would appear on screen. He could see the Prime Minister. She could see him. They both knew they were at least dealing with the right person. So they could see one another. And the system was tested every single day. Although it was always tested in a quiet period, perhaps first thing in the morning or last thing at night, to make sure no one else was around. And to make sure there was no one there who'd be capable of imitating the Prime Minister. And here's a quote from The Silent Deep by Peter Hennessy and James Jinks, a book about the Royal Navy Submarine Service. I recommend that. It's very technical, very detailed, but you can read it the way I do if you're not into all that detail, all that military detail. The way I read it is um, I went through with um, a highlighter pen and I wasn't ashamed at just skipping out the bits which were about the weaponry and the technical side. That doesn't interest me. I like to know about how the, you know, the human side how the men on board the submarines, on board the boats, coped with life there and what decisions they might be faced with. So I went through the book, a huge book, went through that with a highlighter and just took out what I consider to be the good bits. 
And when you're doing research, you come to realise there's no shame in that kind of thing. When I was a student, I always thought you have to read a book cover to cover. You don't have to do that at all. You can read the chapters or the sections that are relevant to your research. So anyway, the book covers what would happen if someone went nuts in Downing Street or tried to imitate the Prime Minister. Um, So, quote, If the tester went haywire or indeed had a mental aberration, someone else was present to deal with the situation. So there's never just one guy alone tapping through to the bunker at Northwood. That's too dangerous. Someone else would always be with the person who was doing the tests. Now, when you were doing that test, the person in number 10 would say, this is the duty clerk testing the television link. Report how you see and hear me. And the reply from Northwood would be, this is the duty officer. Your test message received. Vision is clear and sound is good. So... That's how the Prime Minister would deliver instructions. That's where the Prime Minister fits into the big chain of command, going from NATO all the way out to sea to the submarines. So, of course, that all works as long as the Prime Minister is there. She's an essential piece in the nuclear jigsaw. But what would happen if there was a bolt from the blue attack when there's no notice, when there's, you know, four minutes warning? Uh, There's no time there, of course, to make these preparations. No time to get the Prime Minister to the bunker. No time to let her issue her instructions via the blue telephone. In that case, with um, absolute chaos reigning, the Commander-in-Chief, having received the order from NATO, would try desperately to reach the Prime Minister directly. And if she was gone, then he would try to reach the Prime Minister's nuclear deputies. Those are two ministers who've already been chosen for that purpose. If the Prime Minister is knocked out, then... These, these nuclear deputies have the ability to issue launch um, instructions. But what if they're gone too? What if the commander-in-chief himself is gone? What if Britain is gone? What then does the submarine do? Now, they're out at sea and they're carrying the nuclear weapons. They're out there in the waters, travelling at a fast walking pace, silent and undetectable. They've survived but they can't launch the nuclear weapons on their own. They need orders. So that's where the prospect of instructions from beyond the grave comes from. There's something called the letter of last resort. Every submarine, Britain has four uh, of these nuclear submarines, each one of them carries a handwritten letter from the Prime Minister. And that letter is only to be opened in, as the title says, in the last resort. And that gives the Prime Minister's instructions for what to do with their nuclear weapons. So every new Prime Minister is given a talk by the Chief of the Defence Staff. A talk all about Britain's nuclear weapons, what they can do and how they're launched. And that talk must be more horrifying than the moment your mum draws you aside for a chat about how babies are made. Um, according to Peter Hennessy's book, The Secret State, Tony Blair went white when he was given his talk. But um, since Ted Heath's time, the talk has included a very horrible element, and that's what to do about retaliation if you're no longer there. In the old days when we had um, the V-Force bombers, when Britain delivered or would have delivered her nuclear weapons by aeroplane... There always would have been, probably, enough time to send the bombers on their way. But with submarines, it's different. There was far less time to react. And so, a quote from Hennessy's book. From the early 1970s, 
a Prime Minister could no longer say to himself or herself, I'll face this decision only when I have to, and I'll decide according to the circumstances. A decision from beyond the grave henceforth had to be on each submarine before it sailed on patrol from the west of Scotland. So in the age of submarine nuclear warfare, there was no longer the luxury of time. You couldn't sit back and, as Hennessy says, decide when the horrible moment arrives. You had to decide in advance and put your instructions on board those submarines. And so every one of the nuclear submarines in the Royal Navy carries a handwritten letter from the current Prime Minister and that gives their wishes regarding nuclear retaliation. Here's a short clip from a brilliant BBC4 drama about this very topic. It's called The Letters of Last Resort. You can get it on YouTube. And it's a drama about a a new Prime Minister being asked by her um, advisers to pull up a chair, sit down and please write out each of these letters. And the Prime Minister is horrified at what she has to do. Legitimate order, then... He opens the safe. He opens the safe. And then he opens the other safe. That is correct. And then he opens the letter. Yes. And the letter says... Well, that's very much up to you, Prime Minister. Yep, every PM is left there with um, four sheets of paper and uh, no doubt a nice fountain pen. And they are left to write their own letter. No one is telling them what to write. But um, according to Peter Hennessy's book, The Secret State, it's understood that it boils down to one of four options. Option number one is that she orders the submarine to put itself under the command of the United States, if it's still there. Option two is to make your way to Australia, if it's still there. Option three is get on with it and take out Moscow or the capital of the aggressor nation. And option four is for the submarine captain to use his own judgment. Now, no Prime Minister except James Callaghan has ever discussed his feelings about these letters. Um, When the Prime Minister leaves office, their letters are brought back to shore and they're destroyed and replaced, of course, with letters from the new Prime Minister. No one discusses what they had written. James Callaghan was the only one who talked about it and he said, again to Peter Hennessy, who is the king of this topic, he said, if we had got to that point where it was, I felt, necessary to do it, then I would have done it. I've had terrible doubts, of course, about this and I say to you that if I had lived after having pressed that button, I would never, never have forgiven myself. There's also a hint about what Margaret Thatcher's decision would have been um, in that she said to a former ambassador to the Soviet Union, Sir Roderick Braithwaite, that she wanted to have grandchildren too. That, of course, doesn't directly mean she wouldn't have retaliated, but it gives perhaps a hint that she wouldn't have done so. Who knows, who knows? So when would the submarine uh, commander have opened this dreadful letter? He would do it, of course, as a last resort. He would do it when it was obvious to him that nuclear war had begun upon the surface and that Britain no longer existed, at least not as a military power able to issue orders to him. Now, he can't just drift through the waters indefinitely with all his nuclear weapons. He needs to do something. But there's no one left to tell him what to do, no one left to give the order. 
So he would open a safe on board. And inside that safe is another safe. And inside that one is the dreadful letter. He wouldn't do this in haste, of course. He would have gone through a series of checks to make sure that Britain had indeed gone. But how does he check that Britain has indeed gone? He can't simply check in with everyone. He can't simply phone saying, all right, uh, what's happening? You all been nuked or something? How come you've all went quiet? A submarine can't do that because if, if he does, he will give away his position. So he can receive broadcasts throughout this awful period, but he can't make broadcasts of his own because that's the equivalent of waving a huge red flag to the Russians or to whoever the enemy is and saying, come and get me. So all he can do is listen in desperation, I assume, for some kind of broadcast from Britain, some kind of instruction. But of course, if Britain's been destroyed, nothing is going to come. So he'd wait desperately to hear some kind of crackle of a message from home. But if all was silent and he couldn't pick up anything on the airwaves, he'd start making some pretty safe assumptions, I suppose. Over a period of days, he'd do a series of checks to make sure that Britain had indeed gone. One of those checks, and this is again from Peter Hennessy, is if Radio 4's Today programme stops broadcasting. Now, Today is a, such a staple of British public life, I suppose, that if it failed to broadcast for several days, then that's a sure sign, as sure as can be, <laughs> that Britain is no more. Here's another clip from the Radio 4 drama, Letter of Last Resort. How does the captain know that there's nobody left? He follows the protocols. Protocols? Signs. What signs? Not so much signs as the absence of signs. Right. No signal traffic on UK defence frequencies. No announcements by UK government or royal officials. The absence of Radio 4. The absence of Radio 4? Yes. The absence of Radio 4, really? Amongst other things. <laughs> Because without the archers, there'd be no civilization. This famous reliance on Radio 4 as an indicator of Britain's condition caused a bit of a fuss in 2014 when a fire alarm caused the Radio 4 uh, Today programme to go off the air for 15 minutes. So your submarine captain has done all his checks. It's quite obvious to him that a nuclear holocaust has broken out above the waves. It's quite obvious to him that Britain is no more. It's quite obvious to him that no one uh, is surviving who's able to issue him an order. And so at that point, he and one of his colleagues, these things always happen in pairs, um, just to make sure everyone's on the straight and narrow, no one's having a mental breakdown. He and one of his colleagues would go to the safe, open it up and read the letter. And if the orders were to retaliate, then the procedure would sound like this. This is taken from, again, Radio 4. Radio 4 is obviously essential. This is taken from a Radio 4 documentary uh, by Peter Hennessy, where he went on board the submarines and questioned them about the letter of last resort and about the launch procedures. And here we can listen to a drill... Of course, a training exercise where we can hear what it would have sounded like if they had to take those final steps. Listen now for the click as the weapons engineering officer pulls the trigger on the Colt 45 pistol handle with the wire running from its butt. Once you hear one away, the first missile is gone. And were it for real, that would be the sound 
of the end of the world. We are fire control. Fire control in condition 1SQ for strategic launch. Fire control in condition 1SQ for strategic launch. Supervisor Weo, Roger. Command Weo, weapon system in condition 1SQ for strategic launch. The Weo has my permission to fire. Supervisor Weo, initiate fire 1. One away. So there, that's the sound of the end of the world. At least Britain's little contribution to the end of the world. The sources for this podcast were mainly Peter Hennessy, Peter Hennessy's books and documentaries, uh, Peter Hennessy's The Silent Deep, which he wrote with James Jinks, and Peter Hennessy's The Secret State, Whitehall and the Cold War. And you can also go onto YouTube and get his documentary which was originally Radio 4, of course, called The Human Button. And also on YouTube, you'll find the Radio 4 documentary, uh, sorry, the Radio 4 drama about the letters of last resort, called The Letter of Last Resort. I'll put links to all this juicy stuff on my Twitter account. Um, I'm on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell. And you can get my website, juliemcdowell.com, where all my nuclear work is archived. And I want to thank you all again for listening. It's a comfort to know that people are listening because this topic does get very heavy and sometimes quite frightening. So it's nice to know that people are out there listening and that we often have a a gathering on Twitter to talk about it. It is quite comforting. So thank you again for listening and I'll be back next week with another podcast. (laughs) 